This is the Podcast Inc. production. Booyah! This is the moment podcasting fans listening around the world have been waiting for. Coming to you not so live from a listening device of your choice. It's time! Podcasting out of this corner, a mixed martial talker, holding no professional record. He stands at six feet one and one half inches tall, weighing in at whatever he feels like, hailing out of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, presenting the sometimes angry, always funny, Self-proclaimed podcasting champion of the world, Steve Fingerstyles! So, welcome to another rendition of the podcast. I am here once again, always again, and brought to you by First Row Collectibles. If you're into nerd culture, if you're into comic books, if you're into wrestling figures, if you're into sports memorabilia, please visit firstrow.ca. Use promo code THEPODCAST20. You'll get 20% off. This company is based out of Winnipeg, Manitoba, so everything you see there is in Canadian funds to all you American listeners, so it's a little bit cheaper. But don't worry, International, they also ship worldwide. Like I said, they got everything from comic books, signed memorabilia, signed Everything you literally want from wrestlers, today's old school wrestlers, anything you want, they update daily, so please check them out. And if you're into nerd culture and that sort of stuff, you're most likely into books and video games. If so, please visit BossFightBooks.com today for great books on classic video games. You'll find titles like Galaga, Super Mario Brothers 2, Metal Gear Solid, and so many others. Everything you see there is in ebook and paper format, so please visit BossFightBooks.com. And if you want to support me directly, please visit my merchandise store at tpublic.com or scroll down on today's device. It's embedded right there in the description. Click on that link. Takes you right to the merchandise store. I got everything from hoodies to t-shirts to travel mugs. Anything you need or want, it is there. But if you don't want to support anything monetarily, it's totally understandable. The easiest thing, the most free thing, it takes you two seconds that you could do to support the podcast is rate, subscribe, review on all major platforms. Most specifically, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. So, this week's guest has wrestled for such promotions as Ring of Honor, PWG, and currently for Impact. He is a two-time and one-half of the longest reigning Impact Tag Team Champions and Future X Division Champ, professional wrestler, the Iron Man, the Ankle Breaker, the Walking Weapon, Josh Alexander. What's up, man? What's going on? How are you today? That's a good intro. You got all the new monikers, too. <laughs> uh, I, I am well. I'm living living in Ontario, locked in my basement with the rest of the province, unfortunately. But, right. uh, you know, we're making the best of it. Yeah, no kidding. It, like, what can you do? Like, okay, how about this? Before we get into any wrestling talk, other than wrestling, what has been consuming your time during this so-called pandemic era? It's It's been wrestling, man. Uh, 
this this is like a crazy crucial year in my career unlike any other where i've especially with covid and stuff being able to slow down not having as many independent bookings and stuff or nearly any at all for like a year i was able to finally look at my career and uh you know like 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 i did when i had my injury i looked at all the faults i had before the things i might not have been doing to the best of my ability and i make improvements you know i uh i'm always i'm always open for critiques and improvements and stuff like that and i'm my greatest my greatest uh my i I judge myself harder than anybody else would judge me so you know i'm trying to make my body better i'm trying to become a better wrestler i'm trying to get healthier i'm trying to get more flexible so i don't get injured as often stuff like that like i just gotta i gotta consume my time with things that are are not going to drive me crazy and quite frankly being stuck in my house with two sons (laughs) uh it's starting to drive me crazy because i just see the toll it takes on them Right. Like they can't go to a place like I can and be productive. They they, they want to be kids. They want to go play at the park and stuff like that. They're not allowed to, and they don't quite understand. So that's that's the hardest part. So just trying to find positive ways to use your energy. Yeah, no kidding. I totally understand. Now, what has for entertainment wise? Have you been into any TV shows during lockdown? Any movies? Or are, are you a gamer yourself? I, I see. I used to be a huge gamer okay. growing up, but uh, recently I've discovered that I'm terrible at video games. <laughs> okay. So I'll, I'll, if it's like a competitive thing, other than NBA 2K, sure. I can't, can't really do any competitive games. I'll do story mode games like Resident Evil or Last of Us or nice. Uncharted. I, I love those games okay. where I can just sit down by myself and like blow like three hours and just like solve puzzles and do whatever I need to do. But uh, other than video games, my wife and I like to just like chill out when we finally get the kids to sleep and have a couple hours to ourselves. So we, we pick a few shows. Uh, Yellowstone was like probably the best show I've seen this past oh. year. We watched all three or four seasons that are out right now. Okay. It's amazing. It's available on Amazon Prime if anybody wants to see it. Uh, but like we, we got into the mass Singer, so we watched all the mass Singers. Why? Okay. <laughs> we, there's a happy medium and balance of what my wife likes and what I like and what we mutually like. So right. we watched uh, 90 Day Fiance. Like we've got a lot of time on our hands, dude. There's there's some there's some entertainment out there for you to find. It like you know mindlessly like just numb out for a little bit. But uh, yeah, there's not a lot of films. Uh, unfortunately, I'm a big movie buff, and like right. other than uh, Tenant last year, I haven't seen much. So. Yeah, no kidding. Like, even my wife is like, oh, we, we should watch a movie this week. I'm like, what movie do you want to watch? Are we going to go back in the archive and watch something from the 90s or something? Like other, like you said, other than Tenant and now upcoming Mortal Kombat, that's all I'm looking forward to. There really hasn't been that much, right? Yeah, for the next year, there's like with uh, HBO Max or whatever, there's a lot more True. coming out, obviously. And then 2022, it's supposed to be like back to normal by their schedule that they just released. So hopefully things get back to normal just for the film industry and stuff like that. So I can get my weekly entertainment. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so wrestling. What's your earliest memory? What made you get into the business? What was the aha moment? All that fun stuff. Uh, earliest memory was LJN figures. Uh, really? Like I'm not, I'm not, now I'm not a toy guy or anything, but as, as a child, I had those heavy plastic figures that like, if you didn't want to use them for wrestling purposes, you could use them as a brick to throw at your older brother. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> my, my love for wrestling was my mom brought, brought home a magazine okay. and it had, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Shawn Michaels with Mike Tyson in the background as the enforcer leading up to WrestleMania 14. And I was like, what is this? (laughs) And I read through the magazine and through that, I just went to my local video store and started renting tapes because I didn't have TV at home. 
we didn't have cable. I lived in the country in Canada. Oh. So that's that's where the obsession began. It was through Stone Cold Steve Austin and through him I found Sting in WCW. And through Sting in WCW I found Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit and Chris Jericho and all these cruiserweights, the Dean Malenkos, these these people that wrestle unlike anything I'd ever imagined wrestling could be. And through that, you know, my love for wrestling went all the way through high school. And, you know, you fall out of it because, you know, you start dating or you start getting into the basketball, varsity basketball team and stuff like that. Like I, I and like I think it was just the demise of WCW where my fandom kind of like fell off because there wasn't that weekly competition of like oh you better keep up because these guys are going to like do something crazy and then you know uh i remember it was like june 2002 or june 2003 i can't remember when tna started the years of my mind one of those years uh yeah we we me and my buddies my wrestling buddies were like there's a new game in town oh man it's it's on wednesday night i was like (laughs) i have a satellite just come on over and we tuned in, and the first match was the Flying Elvises against uh, Jerry Lynn, AJ Styles, and wow. Loki. And I, I, to this day, Loki changed my perception of what wrestling could be. Like I looked at myself, yeah. and I was like an overweight kid in high school. Okay. I was athletic, but like I didn't look like Randy Orton, and I was only five <laughs> years younger than him. Like, okay. right, there's right. no way I can be a wrestler. And then Loki came out at 165 pounds, soaking wet. Mm-hmm. But you looked at this guy and just the way he presented himself, just the way he worked in the ring, it was like he did what like the cruiserweights at WCW did for me. And he revolutionized the business for me in my mind, saying like anybody can do this. It's all in how you present yourself. And right. like, look, because low key, you wouldn't tell he's he's larger than life. The mm-hmm. second he comes out there and the way he works, you wouldn't you wouldn't doubt for a second that he'd kick somebody's ass. So like that, that was it. And that's that's what set the hook for me being like, you can do this. And, Luckily, through that, you know, the internet became a bigger thing, and I found indie wrestling, and there was this whole community in Ontario, so I found a school and started my journey there. So when was your first match then? December, like, 16th, 2005. Oh, okay. And I started training on November 5th, 2005, yeah. Oh, that's not too bad. Okay, so you're in Impact currently, but before you landed in Impact, I read or heard somewhere that you retired for a bit? I retired in 2015. So it was it was July of 2015. I had my second neck injury, oh. uh, neck surgery. Sorry, and when I woke up from surgery, it was due to my first surgery not being done to the best of their ability. Oh, so they my. fixed the problem. Okay. I thought I was done. Uh, all the doctors, all the specialists had said you can no longer wrestle. Shit. But luckily, when I woke up from that surgery. Uh, they had told me that it was their mistake. They read the MRI wrong, the imaging, blah, 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 all oh, this wow. stuff. But it's not there. So if you rehab properly, you'll be able to come back to wrestling, which is a bonus. And I was like, well, I just retired. I don't want people to think, like, <laughs> I was afraid people were going to think I was taking advantage of them doing, like, the, the retirement tour to make some oh, money. But, sure. you know, I, I rehabbed for nine months and I came back. And luckily, nobody thought that way or felt that way. So, you know, it's been off to the races ever since. Oh, wow, that's pretty cool then. And you also wrestle in headgear. Have, any, have anyone seen you? Obviously, you're known for wrestling in your headgear. I love it, by the way. It It's so different. It adds that legitimacy of like an amateur wrestler, me being an MMA fan. I love like that sort of type shit. So what's the reason behind it? And have you always used the headgear? Uh, I did not use the headgear for the first eight years of my career, oh, almost okay. 10 years of my career. Yeah, I was just like a, a blonde, kind of like labeled like the the pretty boy look, you know, no tattoos, blonde, 
little spiked up hair, no <laughs> facial hair. And uh, it was like a hot prospect from my indie days in the early yeah. times. But I had wrestled a tournament in America, and I had some cauliflowered ear, which oh. happens. And my ears have always been kind of susceptible to cauliflowering. Okay. And I've drained them myself before and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. But this one was pretty bad. And I remember I, I drained it. I wrestled an indie show on a Thursday night. And I drained it when I got home. And then I went to the show the next day, mm. and I, I had brought a syringe to drain it again. Wow. But in the match, I, I remember mentioning to the guy, just like, just stay away from my right ear. It's pretty, like, swollen up, and I just I just think it's going to get irritated again. And sure. just somewhere in the match, something happened, and the guy ended up insecurating me and kicking me with his toe directly in the ear. Right. And I just remember feeling, like, my ear just going like this and just bulging out, Oof. and it was pretty much the size of a softball. Wow. And it, it eventually split like it was a mess. Ooh. I had to get it pinned to the side of my head. Oh my my doctors they yeah. said, don't shower. Don't take this headdress off for 10 days. Uh, and then don't irritate it again for three months. And I was just like, I got indie dates in two weeks. Like, <laughs> right? what are you talking about? I got to I gotta go do this show. So I, I remember I just I went on eBay and I ordered a set of headgear. And I paid like $40 shipping to make sure it would come in in time. And it came in, and I went to C4 in Ottawa, and I wrestled Mike Bailey and Hacker Scotty O'Shea three-way, and that was the first time I ever put on the headgear, and I, it was just a trial and error thing. Sure. For all I knew, I put this headgear on, I'd wrestle a match, and it wouldn't protect my ear enough, and my ear would end up needing to get surgically, surgically repaired again. Yeah. But luckily, I finished the match, it was an awesome three-way, I came to the back, my ear was unscathed, and I was like, I mean, I guess I'm wearing the headgear for a little while. And for me, I thought it was a temporary thing, Right. but... It, it caught on, man. Like, I, I never would have thought that it would be Rick Steiner and Josh Alexander, the right? only people in wrestling history to pull off headgear. But exactly. like, here I am, like, almost a decade later now, still sporting the headgear. And, like, you say you love it. And I uh, I get every once in a while, I'd say, like, one in a thousand people will be like, I can't take him seriously with that stupid thing on his head. Really? Like, blah, blah, blah. Oh. And I'm just like, I mean, you can't, you can't please everybody. I guess. No, it, it's my identity now like most people like if, if you think of wrestling fans like if you look at it from an outside perspective like when kids go home from a show they won't remember your name they need to have like an identifier sure. like i liked the the clown guy the guy that came out with you know this or <laughs> I, I like the baseball that guy for me i'm the headgear guy right. and like it gave me something for people to remember me by and people to recognize me by oh that's cool so having cauliflower here does that mean were you an, a real amateur wrestler then I unfortunately know in Canada, oh. there's like no wrestling programs really right. outside of like some like hotshot high schools in certain areas. Our sports programs are pretty crazy, like not, not in a good way up here. But uh, I, I had done like a couple things with uh, a football coach in my junior high school mm. who used to be an amateur wrestler. So okay. like we did some stuff there. So I got like an introduction there. And then when I started wrestling, I just gravitated to guys like the Benoit's and the mm. Kurt Angles and the Brock Lesnar's, the you guys that had like a base style yes. around freestyle wrestling or Greco. And it, it just always seemed to like suit my athletic ability and the way I moved. So, you know, over the years I've been lucky enough to roll around with some MMA guys and learn some things, but I would definitely not say I'm a, I'm a seasoned vet in any of that stuff. I just, I'm good at doing it in a professional wrestling sense. Yeah, because myself, again, the listeners know my type of style of wrestling is that ground-based suplex, pile driver type of guy, and you pretty much have all that, and it usually comes from being an amateur wrestler, right? Because people don't know that, maybe what, maybe not nowadays, but back in the 80s and 90s for sure, maybe 80% of the moves 
are taken from amateur wrestling just bigged up to be spectacular for entertainment's sake, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like the hip toss and all this other stuff. This all started from the tenets of like a judo or a catch wrestling and so on and so forth. But like the guys I studied without even knowing it from the age of 12 on when I became a fan were all like proficient mat-based amateur wrestlers when they were in high school or collegiately. Like without knowing it, the guys I was studying, their footwork and all this other stuff, the Dean Malenko's and Eddie Guerrero's and all those guys, they had a base in that style. So I think I just like, ended up emulating it so much that luckily I can pull it off now and people don't know the difference. <laughs> well, speaking of MMA, are you an actual MMA fan though? I am, but I've like, I've, I've fallen off a lot in the past 10 years, man. When it okay. first came in, I was, I was all about it. Right. Uh, and like, I just found it now. It's, it's just, there's too much for me to follow. There's too many names for me to remember. Like the turnaround time before when That's you had to true. know, like, you need to know Chuck Liddell and Frank Mir and Brock Lesnar and GSP, <laughs> right. like Anderson Silva. And I was just like, yeah, I, yeah, you know, but like, this is what the brand's built on. Now it's like, there's names. I couldn't, I couldn't even tell you like 10% of the names. I know like Francis and Ganu and I know John Jones, but like, and I'll tune in to see those guys, but it's just, it's, it's, it's very, there's a lot of people on the roster is what I'm trying to say. And there's a lot of shows, so it's hard to keep up with. See, and it, this circles back to how wrestling differs from MMA and how it's spectacular because you might not know everyone's name, but you know their gimmick, you know their thing. In MMA, especially if the UFC, they're all dressed the same. They can't really come out and be themselves really during a match or anything. So in wrestling, you get that because I'm sure people are like, oh, well, what is Josh talking about? Well, there's so many wrestlers, we can't even name them and keep up with so many shows as well. But again, it's that spectacle that makes it different, right? Yeah, you'll be able to identify from watching one wrestling show the difference between Josh Alexander, Falaba, Sunny Kiss, exactly. you know, all these, <laughs> just, just, you won't even remember their names, but you'll be able to understand. When I watch MMA and like, you'll have the outliers, like the Colby Covingtons and all these other guys that kind of have a gimmick and a look sure. and a style. Like even, uh, I'm going to butcher his name. Uh, uh, the guy that dusted, uh, Nergana, or whatever. Oh, he dusted. Khabib, uh, yeah. Khabib, Khabib. Like, he comes out with a fur hat. Like, you, you understand, like, like, his look right away. He has exactly. kind of a gimmick, an identifier. Yeah. It's just when these guys come out, and I'm just like, I, he looks like he could be a boxer to me. And then all of a sudden, they're like, nope, he's a judo guy. And I'm just like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. It's so true. Yeah. How about your thoughts on like all this new age celebrity boxing type stuff or celebrity MMA fights where people from different genres are clashing together? I still haven't seen a pro wrestler try and venture into this. Is this something maybe a pro wrestler should be doing too to make some extra bucks? I think there's a lot of pro wrestlers that could actually surprise some people, see. which, you know, Brock Lesnar was the number one, you know, of course. champion of all of professional wrestling, just stepping into UFC <laughs> and becoming world champion, heavyweight champion. But uh, there's a lot of wrestlers with, like, shoot backgrounds. Like, I, I could see Chad Gable becoming an MMA star in the next go. five years if he really wanted to. You know what I mean? But I, I think there's also a reason why you don't see people getting into it because it's, it's crazy. Like, this guy that's fighting tonight, or just fought last weekend, uh, he's fought Ben Askren, but yeah. uh, I don't know his name. He's a YouTube guy. Uh, Logan but Paul. he beat up an NBA star last time. Yeah. Yeah, and Nate Robinson. I'm a basketball fan. He's like five foot nine, right? Whatever, and he's not a boxer. Like you can't take somebody that's been boxing for like ten years and put them in there with somebody, even if he is a professional athlete right. with no real experience, and expect him to do well. Like it's 
it's a bloodbath. You're just setting it up for views, and I, I get it. Like it, it makes for a good meme and a good laugh the next day, I guess. But it's it's just it's just weird to me. And like I was hyped for the Mike Tyson fight, yep. and then it came out to just kind of be like <laughs> it wasn't really competitive. You know what I mean? It was just a letdown. And I think if you keep doing that, people aren't going to buy into this stuff anymore. That's so, true. See, see, that's the, one, the thing. The one universal thing all fans can relate to is competition they can see competition and that's what they like that's what they crave and if you don't give them that then like you're just you're just taking advantage of them for their money yeah no kidding and uh i've brought it up on a show too even with some mma guys as well and the whole point of having like a senior sort of division like you know what i mean where guys who could still go could put on a good show but you end up seeing like these type of things happening like tyson still looks like he could go but mind you you put him in with someone in his prime he's He's going to take a beating, obviously. So the whole thing is, is should there be a senior tour or should there be this just one-offs every like maybe five years or so? I mean, I'm all for this great big spectacle supercard fight of like Mike Tyson against somebody if they're really going to fight. The fact is, these guys are multi, 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 multi millionaires. That's that true. Don't need the money. <laughs> they don't right. really need to compete. So what's the, what's like, yeah. the reason Mike Tyson was so special was because he came from being, like, a foster kid that, you know, lived his whole life being, like, abused, and he was going to turn that around and just completely destroy everybody. And that's what made him special. <laughs> and then, you know, you saw him become a multi-multi-multi-millionaire right. and get into the life that comes with being that guy, and all of a sudden he fell off. Like, that happened for a reason. People need a fire under their ass to become successful. So, I mean, if there is that fire, I'll tune in. But otherwise, it's just, yeah. Yeah, no kidding. It's all hype, as they say. So, a lot of upcoming talent here in Ontario scene look up to you and see you as this mentor, right? But do you plan on teaching after your career in professional wrestling? Is that the go-to afterwards, or do you have something else in mind? Uh, I'm As I've told my EVP, Scott Demore when he asked me what my life's plan is, right? I said I have no plan other than pro wrestling. Oh, I am there it is. what he calls a lifer, okay. which is the same as you know himself or Tommy Dreamer or any right. of those other guys. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing I found. I've done a lot of jobs okay. and I've turned down a lot of opportunities for like real, you know, respectable career opportunities to become a professional wrestler, maintain my life as a professional wrestler. Okay. There's nothing that fulfills me like wrestling. Okay. And one of the things that i get a lot of fulfillment out other than performing in the ring is training other people and watching them have success mm. so yes i would love to train people in the future yes i would love to mentor more people in the future uh as anybody knows that has even approached me and asked me for a little bit of help over the past few years like i'm more than happy to help a lot of people i'll watch your matches i don't oh, wow. And you can turn around and help somebody. I see it. I don't see it as like a you know a money making thing or anything like that. I just want to see the especially here in Ontario. There's not a lot of eyes on the Canadian scene, and I want to see that change. The only way that's going to change is if guys like me give back. Well, I was going to ask that. That leads perfectly into a question I wanted to ask later. But since the pandemic started, like the whole indie scene here in Ontario has been up in war and voicing their opinions about how Canadian wrestlers don't get the same breaks as American wrestlers do, right? Now, I'm not involved in the backstage area of politics, none of that stuff. So as a viewer, I don't really see it because you tune into TV, you see a bunch of Canadian wrestlers stapled all, all over the place. So what is this all about? Like, can you share your thoughts on this and all that other stuff that us as fans don't really get to know? 
I, I have two two like completely contradictory perspectives on this. Okay. There is part of me that agree agrees with everybody that's complaining okay. wholeheartedly, and because it is more difficult being a wrestler in Canada. But if you look at the history of who's made it out of Canada and gotten to the next level, a major company, they're all successful. Right. So if you go through, let's just start with Edge and Christian, okay? okay? You start with Edge and Christian. Look at their careers. The next two that really came out were Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. Oh, there you go. Okay. Look at how successful they've been. Then the next two that have come out now are Ethan Page and myself. And I, I know that we will be and continue to be successful just based on the work we put out and the reception we get from people that own these companies. So, yeah. like, <laughs> yes, it's very difficult. But... Uh, there's the, the two sides of the coin thing is I had to work my ass off to get every opportunity I ever had. These I crossed the border so many times while I was flagged going to be a wrestler. <laughs> I, like We're talking weekly for years I would cross, and I would yeah. do this dance where I didn't know if I was actually going to make it to that booking. And right. the unfortunate part is these promoters don't want to book Canadians because they can't guarantee you are going to make it across the border. Right. So they want to put you in a poster and advertise a match if that match may not happen. So luckily I was at a point in my career where I had enough fanfare and I guess clout that the promoters would take this risk with me. Okay. So, you know, and I did it and I did the drives and I drove two cars into the ground that I'm sure I'm still paying for somehow <laughs> because, you know, that's the wrestling dream. You put 200,000 kilometers on a car in two years, it's going to, you know, whatever. And you're not paying it off for five. So figure out the math, <laughs> but like, but part of me wants to see all these Canadian guys work as hard as I did for their opportunities. And part of me wants it to be easier for them. And I looked at the UK scene as an area far away from North America, other than like Drew McIntyre and Seamus and all these guys getting signed like 15 years ago, nobody was ever looking over there. Right. And Pete Dunn and Tyler Bay and Trent seven, they kind of looked, looked at this and they said why don't we just make this scene so hot that they have to look over here mm. that all the wrestling fans from all around the world will take notice that the uk is a great scene sure. so like guys like them and like they they just made the scene so hot that now look they have an nxt uk i look at canada much in the same way i want to make the canadian scene these independent promotions i want to make them so good that they're undeniable that all the wrestling fans around the world have to take notice. They have to look here and be like, look at all this talent. Oh my God, all these shows that are so amazing. How come we haven't seen this before? Well, right. it's been here all along. There just hasn't been any eyes on it. Yeah. So that's why, like, and like, not to disparage any of these guys, but when I started wrestling, Bobby Roode, Eric Young, Petey Williams, all these guys, they got signed to TNA and they were on exclusive deals. So they couldn't do independent shows. Really. Right. So they couldn't give back. I'm luckily on a per day deal with Impact, so I can do whatever I want. And COVID kind of put some, you know, emergency break on it. But if shows open up in Canada again, I will be doing every indie show possible I can in Canada because that's act and travel in the world doing this and building my brand. Right. If I can come back and bring eyes with me to see all these other talented guys in Canada, we're just making the scene bigger. That's that's the real goal. That's the real thing that's going to help. Complaining and like 
the American thing is never going to be easier. Yeah. Barring some change to laws of immigration, like it's always going to be a problem. So you can either complain about it and dwell on the negative, or you can turn around and be like, let's just make this scene as hot as possible. And that's what I think we should do. Yeah, no kidding. Well said. That's exactly my point. Because it's true. Like even myself living here in Toronto my whole life, I knew there was an indie scene here growing up and all that, but I wasn't really into it because you would never hear anything. Then all of a sudden, people like A1, people like Smash, people like Destiny, people like Super Kicked, all over the place, right? So you start getting like that notoriety and that thing online where people from outside of Ontario now are talking. And I don't know if it's something to do with Ontario itself, but it seems like if you get famous somewhere else, then Ontario starts to like you. Like, it's that weird thing. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know if you experienced that as a wrestler yourself. Uh, yes and no. I've seen it happen with a bunch of guys. Like, I, I've kind of always had a firm grip on bookings in Ontario. I've always okay. been highly touted. I don't, I, maybe it's my work ethic, maybe something. I, it's definitely not my ability to politic and hold a conversation because I'm the quietest guy in a room. But <laughs> right. uh, uh, I, I have seen that happen with guys that haven't found success in Ontario, but they went off to Quebec or somewhere else and they got some more experience and all of a sudden they came back here and they had some clout on their name and right. then they found success. Yes, that's true. Well, and speaking of giving back, you were involved with Backyard Pro Wrestling, which two seasons are available on YouTube and a third one coming soon, as the dancing weapon. How did all this come to be? Was Von Vertigo the one who contacted you, or did you hear about it and wanted to be on? How did it all go down? Uh, I remember being contacted by Von Vertigo, yes, and he said, hey, would you like to be part of this Backyard Wrestling thing? I said, absolutely and he was just like it's just a small thing yet you know not a lot of your time we'll be in and out in like 10 minutes okay i think he was worried that i was gonna be like hey my fee is like fourteen thousand dollars you know blah, blah, blah. and i'm just like <laughs> but like these guys like guys like von vertigo and like gabriel fuerza and alexia nicole like all these all these people these are the indie guys that like i want to be successful because i think they're great hard-working good members of this wrestling community yeah. so there's no way I'm going to charge them for this, but <laughs> so he wanted me to be a dancing weapon. And I'm like, you know what? Josh Alexander doesn't get to be goofy all the time. True. Absolutely. No problem. You know? So I put on my wife's old wrestling gear. I uh, put on some workout gloves and we just did like a little vignette thing. Right. <laughs> but uh, I remember as they were leaving, I said, I was just like, hey, man, next time just ask me to do a match. I'll, I'll do a match. Wow. No problem. He's like, what? You would? And I was just like, yeah, what? What do I care? Like, <laughs> I used to back here all the time. Like, and, and I watched his show when it aired the first time. And I was just like, I think I think there's improvements to be made on this. Because some guys were like trying to like actually wrestle. And I was right. like, there's no chance I'm going to actually try to wrestle. Like, Sure. If you watch my backyard wrestling match, like I'm chopping with the back of my hand, I'm, I'm wrestling like I have no idea how to wrestle, right. which is what I thought a backyarder should do. Which is so true. it was a lot of fun. I, uh, yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. And I think that what they're doing is like doing something positive exactly. with their time being stuck in these COVID times with no wrestling. Cause a lot of these guys, you know, man, they're just like twiddling their thumbs, freaking out being like the whole world's going to pass me by and my opportunity and my prime is going to be gone. Sure. And I completely understand and sympathize with that. But you know, there are things you can do to keep your name out there and keep people talking and, on vertigo and all those guys they figured it out <laughs> yeah no kidding and so please guys go support this this is awesome all i gotta say is that w one of my favorite local wrestlers here in ontario mike rollins wrestles a friggin rock and it is fantastic <laughs> yeah 
for like 35 minutes. Right. <laughs> That's it's, crazy. It's the best commentary I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> so as being one of the mentors up here in Ontario, who is a few or one or two people that you is going to just break through that glass ceiling that people are going to start seeing on a regular and any day now? Uh, I've been putting over Gabriel Ferreira for like two, three years to like okay. any promoter, you know, I've seen guys in Ontario not use him and I've asked why and they've had no good answer. Really? So, <laughs> you know, I, I just think as an in-ring talent, as uh, a character, like who, how he presents himself, I think he carries himself and presents himself as a star. And I think he's a very talented professional wrestler. The same, same goes for the Jody threats and the Alexia Nicole's yeah. and the Holden Albright's and all these, like there's so many people. Okay. Uh, this is, I don't know if this is going to be heat, whatever. There's a lot of people in Ontario that have been wrestling for like 25 years that refuse to give up their spot for some reason. Mm, okay. Where I understand you might want to wrestle all the time, but you were taking this spot away from guys like Gabriel Fuerza mm. and like people that need to get this experience at a main event level. So rather than take the main event that, you know, whatever Halliburton, Ontario has seen. 47 times over the last 20 years sure. why don't you just do the opening match and let somebody else get a little shine every once in a while i don't know how i broke through that you know supposed glass ceiling that was holding <laughs> all the young guys down when i was young i have no idea what happened i i remember a a1 i won the alpha male title mm-hmm. and it was like after that every promotion in this province all of a sudden wanted to put their belt on me and wow. put me in a main event match that's awesome like it was just, it, it took one promotion taking that chance on me. And, you know, barring that happening with these guys, I think it's up to the locker room to be like, hey, we need to make new people to make these shows better because I, I've wrestled Tyson Dukes 47 times on different main events everywhere. And I don't think anybody wants to see that again. Right. I, I get my juice on the Canadian Indies out of wrestling newer talent. Sure. So like, I, I think it's better for everybody if, you know, we mix stuff around and we figure out what works and if you give these guys opportunities they can be more successful than just doing the same stuff they're always doing if that makes any sense no it totally does because i think perfect wrestling in my opinion is a a guy who's seasoned and a guy that's green putting on a great match because then they're both learning from each other because you have the experienced guy probably learning something new from the new age that he didn't even know existed and vice versa teaching on the old school mentality so then they could be a good wrestler altogether right so to me i think that's like you don't want to see two green guys you don't want to see two like you said two veterans have been doing it twenty five thousand times so the little mix of both is perfect right yeah and i like i saw it when i was coming up all the time like you would see vets wrestle vets and you'd be like okay that was really good but i've seen that match exactly and like i I my favorite thing to do in the indies is to wrestle the new kid. Like uh, I wrestled Judas Icarus right before lockdown in Guelph, okay. Ontario, and it's probably the best singles match I've had in my entire life. Wow! He's probably only been wrestling for like two, three years, and the crowd was insane. He was so immensely talented. <laughs> like outside of Ontario, I would say he is the best wrestler in Canada. Wow! From my experience, like it's like it goes it goes Mike Bailey, Judas Icarus. And then you can start filling in names afterwards. But, like, that's how impressed I was with this guy. Like, uh, but yeah, and like, I wouldn't have experienced that if I was just like, no, I'll put me as somebody that I know is good and no one won't hurt me or something. You know what right. I mean? It's just, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, okay, how about this? What's the most asked question that you get for advice? Advice. Hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, you get like the obvious, like, what do I have to do to get better? Yeah. What can I do to get better? And that's like, that's like the thing. And like uh, anybody getting into wrestling, anybody that asks me that question, I'm just like, you have to be completely obsessed with this. You have to, like, I've had, before I met my wife, I went through 13 or 14 relationships in the span of like (laughs) 12 years because they, eventually would give me an ultimatum hey it's wrestling or me we need to hang out on saturday you're going to this show and i'm like right and i say well sorry and i know so many talented wrestlers out there that have pretty much given up on their wrestling career because they've had pressure from their significant other or their parents or you know anybody else being like hey this wrestling thing seems like it's kind of like not going to pay off it's going to be a lot of work and sacrifice i don't think you should do that and they listen to them rather than follow the thing and that's fine if that happens in my opinion you were not meant to do this makes sense me luckily for me now it's paying off but (laughs) if it didn't at least i would be happy because i'm doing something that i get fulfillment out of but like you have to be completely recklessly obsessed with this you have to be willing to sacrifice hey all those birthday parties all those weddings all those events anything else just for the chance to get ahead because if you're not there's a thousand people lining up ready to sacrifice all that stuff for that that opportunity too that's such a great point and i bring it up all the time i'm a huge advocate of this i always say that if someone's following their dream and they're going out and not being their regular nine to fiver you either have to find a partner that understands or has been through it before or you got to be single you can't have sort of say the perfect both yeah i trust me i tried and it didn't work (laughs) until i found a woman that you know, it was it was meant to be because she has been involved in the wrestling business for see. twenty years, and she wants to see me find success almost more than I want to see myself find that's success. Awesome. So, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so let's get to impact. How did you get signed? How did it all start? <laughs> was it always to bring in you and Ethan at the same time to be a tag team, or was that uh, happened afterwards? I don't know how I got signed. Oh, I, it's okay. all assumption. I will def I will definitely be asking this question to Scott Demore and Don Callis in the future as, uh, you know, things roll around. But uh, it's all because it's always kind of bothered me that I didn't get signed sooner. Mm. Uh, I was completely tearing Canada to shreds. Like if there was a main event match or somebody coming in that was a name, I was on the marquee and I was wrestling them. And I had built this name and brand for myself with Canadian strong style and everything else going against like Pete Dunne and the whole British strong style scene for destiny. But then on the other hand, I was also wrestling like Sammy Callahan on these impact one night only shows that they did. And I distinctly remember having a cage match against Sammy Callahan for a destiny show. Okay. And Don Callis and Scott Demore were on commentary. And in that match, you can, you can Google trash can Josh Alexander. It'll probably come up on YouTube. If you want to check this out, okay. but just, I'll warn you, it's disgusting. <laughs> so Callahan hits me, hits me with the trash can. And he hits me with the seam of the trash can. So mm. a, a trash can is made of a flat piece of metal that you roll into a circle. So there is an overlapping seam. So when he mm. hit me in the head, that folded and mm. pretty much filleted the top of my skull. Right. And it was... It's it's up there with Eddie Guerrero versus JBL or Muda level sure. bleeding. And I remember me telling the ref... Thank God I had Harry D because he's a very, very experienced ref. 
he was being told to end the match and to tell me to end the match. And I was telling him, I'm fine. He's like, I'm with you, man. I'll keep an eye on you. If you say you're fine, I trust you. Okay. And like, I, I, I didn't have a head injury or anything. I was just bleeding. Okay. And I, I didn't know how much it was bleeding at the time, but I, I bled all over that ring. Like that ring was one giant puddle of blood. By yeah. the time the match was done, I ended up moonsaulting off the cage doing all this crazy stuff that I just wanted to do. And it wasn't because I thought that was an opportunity for me to get noticed. It was, I have this thing inside me where if I'm not giving everybody in the crowd, everything I have, I'm going to be disappointed with myself. And like, it's, it's like that if there's five people in the crowd, 500, 5,000, doesn't matter. I'm always going to try to have the match of the night. I'm always going to like kill myself trying. And, uh, that's a reason why I think I got signed because I think, I remember Don didn't really talk to me before the match. I don't even okay. think he was happy to be there. There was something going on that day, maybe. Sure. But after the match, he made it a point to come up to me and be like, Jesus Christ, kid, that match was insane. You bled all over the place. I haven't <laughs> seen anything like that since. And he like referenced somebody from 1972. Nobody would know about it if I said the name. And then, uh, you know, it was like the only thing Don's ever said nice to me even since. <laughs> so I think like that put me on the radar with him. And okay. then like Scott had an easier time selling me as like a talent to bring in. Right. And when I came to impact, uh, I had done, I had shot vignettes. I had shot a documentary. I had chose my own music. I oh, had wow. my own videotron that I'm now using now with my singles run, Okay, but they were going to bring me in as a singles. And then, uh, I think Jimmy Jacobs, who's part of creative, he had worked with Ethan and myself as Monster Mafia in years prior. Okay. I think he looked at the roster, which is like, we're not really doing anything with Ethan. We haven't for years. Mm. He's been here for two years. Uh, we should really put these guys together because it's like lightning in a bottle. I think they're a great right. tag team. And, you know, by the time I showed up TVs, all of a sudden we were a tag team. We changed our name to the North. And that's how that happened. But for everything I know, the intention was not for us to tag him immediately. Mm. Well, you brought up the name Monster Mafia. Where did this name come from? And I'm assuming you guys changed to the North because of the whole Raptors thing and all that stuff that was going on during the basketball season. But what is the Monster Mafia? Uh, Monster Mafia, we just looked at it. We were like, we're best friends. We traveled the roads together. We were doing our thing. He was all ego. I was the walking weapon. We had two different identities. We were single stars. Right. But then we decided we could like chip away at getting noticed more by being a really good tag team. Because at the time, it was only really the young bucks and like red dragon and maybe like there was like three or four teams really right. marquee team yeah so we decided to just combine forces and be monster mafia and we looked at it we're just like compared to all those guys we're like three to four inches taller than everybody mm. we're big guys we're like okay. 240 to 260 pounds we're monsters and we're like family so monster mafia was a great play on words and it worked it sold a lot of t-shirts you know <laughs> people people liked it on the independent level but when we got to this uh you know worldwide television business they they didn't like the word mafia because uh-huh. you know they think mafia they think like the fbi from ecw or italians sure. like yeah. you don't think like two white dudes from canada so uh you know we, we put our heads together and i came up with the north uh, on a call with don Callis, just trying to brainstorm and it was yes yeah, so i was a huge basketball fan this was in february of that year yeah i knew knew we were going to make a good run in the playoffs. We had Kawhi Leonard. Like, <laughs> we named ourselves the North. Right. We won. They won the NBA championship. And like three days later, we won the tag team championships for the first time. So, Wow, that's pretty cool. So uh, was it always laid out on the table for you guys to become the longest reigning champs? Or did it come, as they say, organically? I, I think it was completely organically. I think we were heading into a feud with Willie and Rich. 
Okay. And I think at Hard to Kill, it might have been in the works for them to win the tag team championships. The oh. Rich had broke his ankle at a show two days before. So, like, this is the kind of stuff that happens in wrestling where, exactly. like, it was just by chance that it ended up happening. Because I think there were plans for us to lose them or win them back or whatever. But it just uh, it just played out that way. And, like, I mean, I'm not going to... I'm not going to knock it because it, I'm cool with it, us being named in the history books the rest of time. That, uh, that's something that like my inner child will definitely smile about later on in life. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so Ethan leaves, he goes to AEW. I assume, obviously, you're excited for the guy. Now, you're now going to get a singles push in the exhibition. Are you nervous? Are you like, I'm chomping at this bit, I'm going to show them what I could do? What's going through your mind? Oh, I'm fully chomping at the bit. There's not now of nerves inside me being a singles wrestler whatsoever i've had so much experience in the indies over my 16 years and in like high profile matches like i've wrestled samoa joe and like i I can go down the list of names i've been able to wrestle and get experience from and learn from from a singles capacity but i've been on huge shows as a single star across the world Mm -hmm. so like it was never like uh oh no what am i going to do without my partner on the and like we as i said before like we were both singles guys that came together and we just happened to have the chemistry to be a great tag team now luckily we can step apart and become single stars again and i was just chomping at the bit to be able to show the world what i can do like my my juice at a pro wrestling is the stuff that can happen in the ring and if i'm the only one there with a paintbrush in my hand that's my piece of art i'm making it's all on me i don't have to share it with anybody else anymore so it's it's almost cooler it's a lot more pressure but like i found that anything that pushes me you know, pushes me against the wall and like puts the pressure on me. I always seem to rise to the occasion. I, I, I seem to get like a certain amount of excitement from it. So right. like it's done nothing but fuel me to be even better than I was before. And uh, that's awesome. And uh, I definitely want to be X division champion like that. When I said that inner child thing about the history books, the same thing goes to that X division title. Cause as I said earlier, that X division is really what gave me hope to be a professional wrestler in the first place. And like, seeing guys like Samoa Joe step in who right. didn't have the typical build and body that might be like a headlining star just come in and completely change the game and like guys like Amazing Red and Loki and AJ Styles and all that stuff like I was saying before like I just want to be on a list with those guys as an X-Division champion that, that would make my child happy too yeah no kidding yeah. and like Impact prepared me really well for this singles run as a tag competitor for two years because anytime the North had a squabble with a single star, I was the one put in the ring with them in a singles capacity. Oh. I wrestled Mara Fuji on the very first episode of Impact on Access. I wrestled Bikingo, the uh, star from AAA in Mexico. Right, I wrestled Eddie Edwards in a singles match in Atlanta. Like I, I wrestled TJP prior when we had a problem with them. Like I was always put in these huge uh, singles matches with these huge stars at a television capacity to see if I could hang. And I always kind of like, you know, rose to the occasion. So I think that's what made everybody comfortable with me becoming a single star as well. No, most definitely. So, okay. So you love being a single star because everything's on your shoulders. Now, what was the favorite thing you enjoyed most about being in a tag team? Uh, Well, I've, I've said it before many times, the tag run, tag with Ethan is like the, the most fun I have in wrestling because it's, it's, it's easy. There's never, there's never like an issue. Like we would get together and like, 
if I was thinking about how the match should go, he would also have the exact same thought. And like, if he had a thought, like, it seems like I was always going in the same direction as him. It was, it was so easy. It was fun. It was like very relaxed because I knew like anything that I might lack, he'll pick up the slack and vice versa back and forth. And sure. honestly, like, it didn't feel like we were challenged that much as a tag team. Like mm. you, you reached a certain point as a tag team and it was just like, we were hitting home runs left and right with whatever you give us. We, we want, we want to screw up. We want to be reprimanded. <laughs> we want you to be like, Hey, do this better next time. But like every time we come to the curtain, it's like, great job guys. Great job. Great job. And you're just like, that's why I say like, I like being a singles competitor because everything's on my shoulders. Right. It's like, I'm a big like, give me the ball and let me drop it. But you have to give me the ball first. So like, that's what I mean. Like we we didn't drop the ball for so long that it, it, it was just like, you know, it got to be. We almost got complacent in it because we couldn't do any better than we were doing. Like there's all these dream matches that people wanted to have happen that we think would have put the pressure on us to like, rise to the occasion and get to that next level because it did happen with like the Motor City Machine Gun and right. stuff. That lit a fire under our ass more than anything that's like that whole run probably. But exactly, uh, yeah, like that's the most fun I've had in my career. Oh, that's cool. So last week, an episode of Impact, you went off with TJP. Masterpiece, may I add. It was one of, and especially coming off the whole burnt out week of WrestleMania, because everyone knows there's so much wrestling to be watched and consumed during that week. To watch this after all that and still enjoy it, my hat's off to you guys. Now, did you guys do this all behind the scenes or was there an agent with you guys coming up with all this? Because like I said, it was a perfect amount of technical wrestling, of reversals, of everything. Like I said, it, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, uh, TJ and I, we like we have this crazy chemistry as opponents. We both uh, we both love professional wrestling. We both love the same guys and study the same guys. So he like he's a big Eddie Guerrero guy. Yeah. I'm a big Kurt Angle guy. So like we, we we obviously idolize those matches that those two had. Right. We don't want to copy them, but like we want to have like a similar feel. So like when we get in there and we're just like we toss around ideas or we think about how the match might go, it seems like we're always going in the same direction and we're always thinking the same thing. We always want to have the perception of competition because I think a lot of people, you know, in pro wrestling in general seem to forget that this should be a competition at all times. You should be fighting for holds. Right. It should be a little gritty. It shouldn't all be pretty. And that's what we try to present. And I think, like, I was super happy with the second match. The first match we had uh, two months ago mm-hmm. got some of the most fanfare of any match I've done yes. in my career. You're right. And people are calling it match of the year candidate. Yep. It's the top eight exhibition match of all time already. I mm-hmm. thought this one was better. Me too. So as long as we can continue to make it better, I'm, I'm really curious and interested to see where we can go if we're given, like, 30 minutes on a pay-per-view ever. Yeah, no kidding, right? And we'll get to Rebellion, obviously, too, because that's coming up. But the one thing I love about Impact as well is everything, like, it, there's so many different type of characters. You got, like I said, you got guys who are just starting, guys who have been there forever, and just wacky gimmicks all over the place. One of my favorites is Swinger's Palace. Now, you just made a cameo. You were there in Swinger's Palace yourself. And now, uh, how, how about this for a question? If you, were be, if you were able to pick one gimmick out of the 80s or 90s, what or who would it be? For myself? Yes. Oh. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> right? That's tough. That's a, that's, a, that's a very good question. It's a very tough question. Because, like, uh, like, nobody knows this about me. Except, for, like, my wife and 
my kids, but like, I'm really silly. My, my only issue is I'm very antisocial because I grew up, you know, being like kind of having to build barriers, to keep people out. So until you get to know me, you won't see that side of me, which is the wrestling side of me that I let everybody see. You see that okay. closed off, quiet, stoic right. person that is me. But then, you know, I, I like to get silly and have a lot of fun. So like, it would probably be something like a, like in Canada, like a Santino Morella or something okay. like that. You know what I mean? Just like a goofball character that, you know, just has fun because I mean, it seems much better than I do every week, which is just kill myself for 30 minutes and you know do that. I do love that. But if you're going to make me pick a gimmick, I'm going to pick something that I'm going to have a lot of fun doing. No, it totally makes sense, right? Okay, before we get to the word story of the week and we wrap this up, why should someone tune into Rebellion on pay-per-view this Saturday, April the 25th? Well, other than the obvious reasons of Kenny Omega against Rich Swan, the Forbidden Door being kicked open, and that crazy title versus title match happening in the main event where nobody knows what's going to happen. Right. And, you know, I know my locker room is all pushing for Rich Swan because, <laughs> and that's a complete shoot. We're all pushing for Rich Swan because not that Kenny Omega's come in here with an attitude, but like it seems sure. like the AEW impact relationship has present, presented itself in a certain way that would mean that we are lesser than or something. And sure. I know our locker room is full of hungry guys that know we're just as good, if not better than anybody in their locker room. So we're just waiting for the gauntlet to be thrown down. So Rich Swan's the first person that can defend honor and he's going to have to do that at rebellion. Other than that, I would say there's this X division title <laughs> match and it's a triple threat match between Ace Austin, who's the champion and TJP and myself and, I know that TGP and myself have put on two match of the year contenders this year already in singles competition. So you're going to get a little taste of that and you're going to get a taste of us beating the unholy dog shit out of Ace Austin because, (laughs) you know, he's a little younger, he's a little newer and, uh, you know, he's going to have to earn it if he's going to win that match. And I think it's going to be one. We like, I know personally, I look at the 2005 unbreakable three way between Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels and AJ Styles. It's the greatest three way of all time. Yeah. And to be put in an exhibition championship match three-way, I would like nothing more than to try my hardest. I mean, that match is perfection, but to be as perfect or better than that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the bar real high and say that we're going to try that. And if we succeed, you will see a giant smile on my face. But if we don't, uh, I'm going to die trying. So you're going to get your money's worth out of me. And that's, uh, that's just the one thing I can say about Josh Alexander every time. So if you see me on a show make sure you order it because I will always make sure you get what's worth that's awesome okay now I gotta know too since being in the X Division are you looking forward to those crazy X Division matches I I have said it many times and I've I said it earlier when I talked to Scott Demore today uh, I want to be in an Ultimate X match right that's pretty much okay. the only thing I want to do <laughs> Just like, it's my favorite. It's my favorite gimmick match of all time. Oh, okay. Now they've put me in the X division, and like if he calls calls me for whatever like reasoning, my boss would have to call me. I'll always slip it in there. Hey, man, bring back the Ultimate X. Just <laughs> always bringing it out, and like it's always been. It always gets turned down, but you know, one day I'll wear them down enough to throw that out there again because I think it's just like a special match that is uh, exclusive to impact and it's just a different way of presenting wrestling that I think I would excel in. Cause I, I have a lot of creative ideas with it. That's awesome. Well, you ready for the weird story of the week? I'm, I'm ready. man. Okay. So first off, are you an animal lover? Do you have any pets of your own? 
I do not have any pets because I travel too much. Okay, I'm a dog lover. I'm allergic to cats. Shit. So, yeah. Okay, no problem. What's have you ever? Were you one of those kids that were like had weird pets growing up, or do you know anyone that had like weird, disgusting pets? Yeah, I had some friends that had like newts, geckos, and like snakes and tarantulas and stuff. I I, I never understood it myself. I just think that's all creepy. But yeah, I'm the same know, way. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Well, I got a top five list here of the most weirdest pets that someone could legally own. Are you ready for this? <laughs> Is this in Canada? I would assume it's American because it's off, it just... it, it's an American website, so I assume okay. it's American. So we got starting off number five. Some uh, Tiger King stuff. Well, see, that's what I was expecting, but no, no, it's it's none of that t- sort of stuff. Okay, no, number five is a hedgehog. Okay, yeah, I've, I've seen it. I, my friend has a hedgehog in Canada. Oh, really? Okay. I, I don't know if people actually were into yeah. that. Okay, now it starts getting a little bit disgusting. A buffalo leech. I, uh... <laughs> Okay, and I don't know where someone... I don't know. I wouldn't even want to look at a picture. Right, exactly. Now, this next one, I don't even know where you would find one, but an anteater is pop- is a- popping right now. <laughs> Why? Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, maybe this is a worldwide thing, because coming in at number two is a kangaroo. No. No, dude. I right? have heard not, no good things. Yeah, I know people that have been to Australia and they're like, man, the kangaroos are aggressive. You don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, you, well, well, you know what? You, you could have like a gimmick match with a kangaroo and his finishing move could be uh, a super kick. <laughs> yeah. See, the issue is too many people see these things in cartoons and they're like, oh my God, that kangaroo is so cute. I want to have one of those. That's true. And then they get the real thing and they're like, Jesus, it's nine feet tall. okay and if you had to guess what the number one weirdest animal is what would you think it would be uh maybe like a sloth actually no that didn't even make the list it is this is just goes to show how weird people are nowadays a madagascar hissing cockroach yeah right I mean, that falls into, like, the tarantula pile of, like, my friends that, like, it's just, like, it's an exotic, like, it's a bug at the end of the day, right? I don't No, to me, a a pet, like, I understand, I understand people are into fish. I guess certain birds you could do this, but if you can't pet it, if you can't, like, physically, emotionally love it, to me, it's not considered a pet. (laughs) I, I would I would tend to agree. I have a friend that I grew up across the street from, and they had a I think it's called a cockatoo. Okay, yeah. Uh, when I was like when I was like eight, and the thing was already like twelve years old. That thing's still alive. Yeah, those things last forever, man. They're, that's that's like, if you're gonna go through your entire life and this thing's gonna outlive you, I don't think it's a pet. <laughs> No, no kidding. All right, Josh, plug your shit where people could find you, where people could interact with you. Anything up and coming? Floor's all yours. Uh, just uh, on Twitter and Instagram at walking underscore weapon. Through that, in my bio, I have like a link tree, and you can support me in any way monetarily if you want some merch. I got some cool stuff up there. If you don't, it's all good. Just tune in on Thursday nights to Impact on Access at eight PM. And, you know, follow my career. Because as I said earlier, I'll always bust my ass and make sure you get a good match out of me at least. 
That's awesome. For myself, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter under Finger Styles. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, the podcast app. Email us your thoughts, suggestions, comments, anything you want to get off your chest at the podcast app at gmail.com. Please rewind to the top of the show. Support those fine sponsors because if it helps them out, it helps me out. And obviously, rate, subscribe, review. And to all you new wrestling fans that are listening, go check out older episodes with also Impact Stars featuring Crazy Steve, TJP, Cody Diener, and most recently I had Doug Williams on, Anthony Corelli, FKA Santino Morella, Nikita Koloff, and local talent as well, as in Von Vertigo, Mike Rollins, and Alexia Nicole. So go check out previous episodes. One last question, my friend. What are you looking forward to the most between this whole AEW Impact relationship? I would say putting myself against Eddie Kingston on a Ooh. you know a TNT broadcast in a in a match. If you give us ten to fifteen minutes, I'm sure it'll be the most physical match that anybody's put on on American television in you know decades. Awesome. On that note, he's Josh. I'm Steve. This is the podcast. Peace. <laughs>